good to see all of you uh, this morning. Uh, we are, uh, we have come to the end of our series of uh, church life. And we've been talking about uh, what, according to scriptures, I mean, if, if what we say we believe is true, what are the implications for our lives? Not just as individuals, not just as separate families, but as one big family, as brothers and sisters uh, in Christ with uh, God as our, our heavenly father. And, and next week we are going to be starting a, a series uh, called Kingdom Parables and looking at the various parables um, that Jesus shared with his disciples that we see throughout uh, the Gospels. Now, uh, for this morning, uh, the title of my sermon is a title that I've used before. And the title for my sermon this morning is Welcome to Infusion Church, Now Get Out. Right? Now, you've heard me say this before, and if you have, you know that I'm probably not going to be kicking anybody out of the church this morning, except for maybe John Upson. We're still talking about that one. We'll see. So my hope for this morning is to reinforce the truth that Jesus designed the church to be the sent people of God. He calls us to go and make disciples, and when he says go... What he's saying is get out. Get out into the world. Get out into your neighborhoods. Get out of your comfort zone. Live out God's kingdom values of grace and love and truth and proclaim in both word and deed the good news of the great hope that we have in Christ Jesus. That is church life, and it is normal according to the scriptures. Now, there are countless ways to live it out, and I want to talk a little bit about what that looks like when we live it out so it doesn't just stay some kind of a good idea, a religious idea. It gets a little bit tough when you start applying it to your, to your life. And, and what I want to do is, is talk with you a little bit about what it'll cost you. So many people think that if I'm a Christian, you know, it's all sunshine and rainbows and skipping through daisy fields and all that kind of stuff. And, and if I have Jesus, if he's, then it shouldn't really be that difficult. That's not what you see in the scriptures. That's not what you see at all. Jesus regularly called his disciples to die to self and to follow him and to prioritize your whole lives on glorifying God. And, you know, there's... That's tough, right? We mess that up all the time, and so do I. So in this message, I'm not just preaching at you. This message is for me as well. This is for us as, as a family. So not only do I want to talk a little bit about what it costs, but I want to talk about what it is that drives us as a church in that ministry to live this kind of church life. So let's get to it, right? The power that drives us to, to live this out, to live this church like we've been talking about is simply the gospel. Now, it is my job and the job of the elders and other leaders in the church, and not just leaders, it's just something that we do for each other as kind of a normal part of living, and that is to make sure that we understand what the gospel is and what the gospel is not, and then we help each other to live in light of what the gospel is. Now, the word gospel simply means good news. Well, what good news? Well, this good news. The gospel is the good news that through the work of Jesus and his spirit, the power of God and his kingdom have entered into history to reconcile us to God and to renew our broken lives and our communities and the world. That is good news, amen? 
Now, a key verse for us as a gospel-centered church has been 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, that simply says this, that God made him who? Jesus, right? God made Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, I want to tell you, you may not feel it right now, but I'm telling you, it does not get any more down to earth than this. It doesn't get any more useful than this. It doesn't get any more practical than this. Nothing gives you better direction in life than this. This is not some theological theory that we kind of like tinker around with and then it's totally disconnected from our lives. And if by the time we get done with this message, you feel like, oh, this still feels just kind of like, like theory doesn't feel very practical or whatever, then I want to tell you, I want to remind you that some things are spiritually discerned. And if you pray for spiritual discernment to see how it can radically transform your life, then God will answer that prayer. So I want you to be focused this morning on how this will apply to your life. Evaluate your own heart and your life as, as we go through this. Because if we get this, if we really, to the extent that, that we believe this, it will change absolutely everything. It'll change everything about your life. It'll give us a calling. Because to the extent that we believe this gospel, we will be f absolutely filled with gratitude. Right? We'll be sacrificially hospitable towards those that God has placed in our lives. And not just Christians, for sure Christians, but also non-Christians. And, and we will find ourselves, if we believe this, throwing ourselves into making a difference in the world. Why? Because we realize the gospel's made a difference in our hearts. And then every single one of us, we, we, we will look how each of us can contribute to the mission of glorifying God as we lead people to and through a life-changing relationship with Jesus and his family. Now, what is very important for us to do is to make sure that we're constantly evaluating our hearts, that we're constantly evaluating our lives, that we're constantly evaluating our church in light of the gospel, in light of scriptures, and what he's called us to do, but more importantly, who he's called us to be. Because if we don't, we'll end up in the weeds, and we'll just totally lose focus of what's most important. And next thing you know, we've lost our first love, which is to be Jesus. Right? So, my question is, and let's let as you a part of this church or you as a part of a family or yourself in your own life collectively together does this describe us do we freely uh, i mean in light of the gospel in response to god's grace do we freely open our lives to people in the church and outside of the church are our lives characterized by by showing a generous hospitality to our friends and to our enemies do we refuse to let our own personal comfort get in the way? Now, I want to tell you something real quick. This is not being religiously legalistic. This is being transformed by the gospel. And I'm telling you, you know what? If you ever want to know what that looks like in real life, just get to know Vicki Daniels. I am telling you. How many of you here know Vicki Daniels? Yeah. She's amazing. There is, I mean, talk about somebody who has had uh, just an incredibly difficult life, right? 
so difficult and, and challenging. And yet she is one of the sweetest people I've ever met. She is someone who lives on mission. Using whatever strengths and weaknesses, you know, that have come from God, she uses them, lives it out according to, to his glory. You think you don't know how you're going to be able to do this with your life? You, you want to know what it looks like? And how you, talk to Vicki Daniels. I'm telling you. And for those of you who don't know her, she's, our, she's been coming to this church for years and years and years. She's our financial administrator. She does everything. She broke her foot not long ago and dislocated it, had 11 screws put in her foot, and she's still working her tail off at home for the advancement of, of God's kingdom. It's amazing. So, when, when this is a priority in our life, and we are living it out together as a church, that is just called ministry, right? And Christian ministry is simply this, using our, our gifts and our resources to meet the very real needs of people in the name of Christ, right? And the greatest need is Jesus, and that same Jesus leads us to meet other needs as well. So this is one of the reasons that Joe John is, is working on a, on a spiritual gifts teaching for our church and it wants to help mobilize people to help find their unique ministry. In the meantime, you know what? We, all can, we, we can all help out wherever we see a need. And it's for the advancement of God's kingdom and sharing the truth and love of God in both word and deed. Now, I'm not going to break down the spiritual gifts for you this morning. I'm going to let Joe John do that in his class. But I want us to realize that we all have gifts and resources that God has called us to use to meet the very real needs of people together in the name of Christ. Now, here's, I've told you this a couple of weeks ago, and I want to tell you again. Your life and your calling is shaped in the same way that my life and calling is shaped. It is no different. No different. The Bible tells us that belonging to God means that we together, not just the pastor, not just the staff, but all of us who are in Christ, together we are a chosen people. We are God's special people. We are a holy nation and we are a royal priesthood. Together, together, not just the pastors, not just the staff, but together all of us, we are the sent people of God. And you know what? That's our identity. That's something that we couldn't work hard at to achieve. That's something that was given to us by Jesus, by his grace. That is who we are. And now God says, be who you already are in Christ. Grow uh, more and more in, in, in living according to who you already are in Christ. So let me, let me continue to kind of try to apply this to to your own personal life and schedule and situation and where you live. If you are a Christian, if you believe that Christ is your king and, and you believe that you are involved in God's kingdom, in the advancement of God's kingdom for his glory, you know what that means for you personally? That means that you are a missionary. That means that you are a missionary of God's grace. Now, I, I, you know, we have different associations with the word ministry. Now, I, I don't want you to think that I'm calling you to draw, sell everything and move to, to India and, 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 and do missionary work over there, although that would be awesome. And if you do, we'd like to get behind that and encourage you and bless you and that. But also realize that God calls you to be a missionary wherever you are, in your own, own, your own neighborhood. And it's not just you, you know, a one-man show. 
you have a role to play in the body of Christ as a part of a missionary church. And so my question is, have, have you taken responsibility for your role? Have you embraced your, your role to be a part of the body that is a missionary church? And so getting back to evaluating our own hearts and lives, how's it going lately? How, how's it going lately for you personally? I, I, wanna, I want to challenge us to look at our lives. And I know whenever we do this, it is incredibly tough. It is tough. Because then our eyes are open to how far we fall short. But you know what? That is exactly why we emphasize grace around here. That's exactly, because we're all going to mess up. I'm going to mess up. I, I am in desperate need of God's grace. We need grace when, when we don't serve others. Uh, we need grace when um, we realize that, that we've been acting like other people haven't been living up to our high and mighty standards. We need, you know what? We also need grace during the times when we are working together and it's all celebrations and high fives. We do. You know why? Because I have seen ministry rolling along and it's, everything's going great and people are high-fiving each other and eventually somebody gets high-fived in the face. Right? What I mean by that is this. If we are all in the trenches together, and we're on mission, and we're united in our cause, when you are, are in the trenches together, it is absolutely inevitable that you will step on someone's toes, and somebody else will step on your toes. It's just going to happen. That's why we need grace. Because what happens is, as soon as you know, somebody gets offended, as soon as somebody gets slighted, as soon as somebody feels overlooked, as soon as somebody feels insulted, then there's bickering that starts happening, and relationships start to unravel, and then the evil one's going, yeah, I may not have stopped you, but I slowed you down. I got you off mission. We need to regularly be praying for grace in our relationships with one another. So remember this. When you get hurt by someone, remember this. And then you go to the Lord for grace. Right? It's, it's absolutely critical. Unity is critical, and it's accomplished by grace. There will be times when you are the one that hurts someone that you care about when you're working together and you didn't even mean to. So we will always need grace to stay united in our, in our, in our calling. And you know what? That's one of the reasons why we're having our vision banquet tonight. Is, is to pray for, pray for unity. To pray for the vision of what it is that, 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 that the gospel can do in our hearts, our church, and our, and our, and our world. And that, that we would just pray for an outpouring of God's grace. So please, if you're, don't blow this off. Be here tonight. If you're not doing something that you can't get out of, be here tonight. So as a family, we can pray for unity and grace. Now, listen. I am seeing more and more people wake up to the reality that there is so much more life when you are a missionary of grace. When, when you have come to grips with that identity, with, with that role, and, and you own it. I see it happen. It's like the lights turn on, and then all of a sudden, every, all of the priorities change. And it's exciting to watch. And, and the truth of the matter is, is that it's so easy for Christians to kind of slip into being satisfied with church as some kind of lame religious hobby that we might tinker around with every now and then if we feel like it. It happens all the time. Our identity 
is in Christ, and as his church, it leads us to live together and work together to minister to the people that God has placed in our lives. That's a completely different way to live, but that's the Christian way to live, and it is normal according to the scriptures. Now, we are called to Christ. When we are called to Christ, we are always called to ministry. Always. It may look different drastically from, from one person to the next. You might have somebody who's incredibly uh, educated and, and they, they can produce and they speak five different languages and, and you know, they've got master's degrees and, and you know, I, I mean, it's, or, or maybe there's somebody who all they want to do, I mean, maybe they're blind and, you know, they're, they're paraplegic. Is there a role for them in the kingdom of God? You bet there is. You bet there is. I mean, having the joy of Christ in spite of your circumstances, that's a powerful testimony. Praying for the church and praying for your city, that's a very powerful ministry that is absolutely undervalued. There is something for you. When we are called to Christ, we are always called to ministry, and we see this throughout the scriptures. There are a lot of examples in the Bible, and I'll share a few of my favorite with you that I've shared with you before. Um, Genesis 12, God calls Abraham. Starting in, in verse 1. The Lord said to Abraham, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham left as the Lord had told him. You know what? <laughs> what we see right here, whatever is in the, the heart of Abraham to be able to do this, to pick up and go without even knowing where he was going, but being obedient like that, whatever is in the heart of Abraham right now is what shapes a culture of calling among Christians. So my first point is this, that God blesses us to make us a blessing. God says, Abraham, I will bless you, and you will be a blessing. You know what? Whenever we have our eyes open to the reality of God, whenever we see God face to face, and, and, and we come to grips with who he really is, what will happen to you is that it will push you out. It, I mean, it will so transform you and your life that it will change you into a person of, of mission. Now, I don't speak Latin. I know that's a surprise. You probably look at me and say, that guy looks like he could speak Latin. No, I don't. But here's what I'm told. I'm told that the word mission is from the Latin word missio, which means to be sent, right? That's why we call ourselves a, a missional church. And when we see God as, as he really is, what it happens to us, now listen to me, when we see God for who he really is, it, it destroys our individualism. It destroys our consumerism. It destroys our what's in this gig for me mentality. Right? So much of that like, influences the decisions we make about being involved in, in, in God's work here for his kingdom. So, the first time Abraham meets God face to face, God says, get out. He says, go. Right? Leave. 
Leave what you're familiar with. Let go of what you're comfortable with. Leave your place in society. Leave the security of your homeland and go. And I'm not even going to tell you where or why. Do you know that God regular, he regularly calls his people? When you, when you read the scriptures, you see that it is normal that God regularly calls his people to make big risks, to make big moves to shake things up, to attempt great sacrifice for God, and to get out. And you might do that in another country, or you might just do it in your own neighborhood, in your own city. We see this all throughout scriptures. You look at the first time that, that, that God meets Moses face to face, and you know what? God, Moses knew God for many years, right? Uh, he listened to God, he bowed down to God, but the first time he met God face to face was where? Yeah, that's right, Exodus 3, at the burning bush. And when Moses grasped the holiness and the greatness and the awesomeness of God for the first time, what does God say to Moses? Go. Go to Pharaoh. Get out. Right? And then there's the apostle Peter. He already knew Jesus. He hung out with Jesus. He was one of Jesus' disciples. But then in Luke 5, Jesus comes up to them. We're in their boat. They're in their boat, and the disciples, they've been out fishing all night. And, and Jesus says, hey, how, you, know, you know the story? He says, how did it go? And they said, you know what? We didn't catch anything all night. And then Jesus says, hey, I got an idea. Why don't you go out a little bit further and throw the net on the other side of the boat? And I was like, he's, he's lost it. He's nuts. But they humor him, and they do it anyway. And they catch so much fish that their, their, their boat begins to sink. And what does Peter do? He throws himself at Jesus' feet and he says, depart from me for I am a sinful man. Why? Why was that his response? After knowing Jesus for so long, why was that his response? Because for the first time, he got a glimpse of the glory of God that was veiled in the humanity of Jesus. And then what's happened? Well, then what happens? What does Jesus say to Peter? He said, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. You see the result there again? And then there's Isaiah. He's a prophet. He knows God. But then Isaiah 6, he sees the Lord high and lifted up, and he is overwhelmed, and he just falls down, and he says, you know, I feel like I am falling apart. Why? Because for the first time, he saw the glory of God. And what happens? What's God say? God says, hey, Isaiah, I have a job for, I don't know, somebody I got a group of people here and I need someone to go minister to them, to speak to them, to preach to them. But they will have hard hearts and they will never listen and whoever goes there will be there for years and years and years because they'll continually resist them and they'll relentlessly laugh at you. I mean someone. But I need someone to go. And, and what's, I, what's Isaiah do? He gets up off the ground and he says, here am I, send me. That was the natural response to beholding the glory of God. 
This is how it happens through scriptures. And I see it happen over and over and over again in the lives of Christians. All over. It's the natural response to beholding the glory of God. Every time people actually see God for who he is, he, they lose their consumerist, what's in it for me mentality. They say, we will risk. I will sacrifice. I will go. I will do whatever it takes to serve others and meet their needs in the name of Christ. That attitude of what do I like? What style do I like? What's cool? What do I want? What makes me feel better about myself? or whatever? That, That's no longer the basis of your decisions anymore. Once you behold the glory of God, you see what I'm talking about? In light of the glory of God, you see how meaningless and superficial and shallow and ridiculous that is. I, I know, I know, you know, the examples that I used, it, 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 can, it can be real easy to say, you know what, they're totally different than us. They're, they're epic. They're epic making people with all of the drama and special effects and pyrotechnics and visions and smoke and fire. I mean, that's not the way it happens for most of us, right? But like we talked about last week, it's the same principle. When the church realizes that we are to be the sent people of God, Blessing others together, living generous lives, boldly proclaiming uh, the, the gospel in word and deed, that is epic. <laughs> the truth is, God is a spiritual tornado, right? He, he just brings us in, he sweeps us up, and he sends us out. Let me say this. He never pulls you in without sending you out. God never blesses us without making us to be a blessing for others. How, how many of you here have been blessed? Have you been blessed? You know what? God blessed you in order to make you a blessing. You know, that's how we know that we're dealing with the real God and not some religious figment of our imagination. Because why else would we want to sacrifice for others? Why not just look out for yourself? Right? That's why the world thinks this is so foolish. Jesus in John 17 is praying, and he says this, As you, Father, sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And you know who he's talking about? That's right. He's talking about you, every single one of you. He's talking about every single one of us. And then he says, I say these things so that they may have, so that you may have the full measure of my joy. You know what? No one has joy like someone who knows that they have something that can change the world. Right? And no one has joy until we finally serve someone or something bigger than ourselves, bigger than our own agendas, bigger than our preferences, bigger than, you know, our careers, bigger than our comfort, bigger than our hobbies. We think all these other things is what, what's going to make us happy, but they let us down all the time. And, and you know what, I'll say this. Um, I don't mean to pile on here, but I feel like it's important to say is that I've seen so many people just kind of abdicate God's call in their life in the name of putting their family first. And it sounds really good. I mean, how in the world do you argue with that? Family is awesome. 
so good. The best thing that you can do for your family is to prioritize the glory of God and making God's glory central in your family, to model for your family what it looks like to be the sent people of God. Right? We can't... I, I cannot abdicate um, God's call on my life and then blame my family for it. That can't be on them. That can't be on their shoulders. God calls us to be individuals, families, churches, on mission, prioritizing our lives according to his purposes and for his glory. So, Jesus is praying that we would experience the joy he experiences. So it's not just a grind to rearrange our lives, like, I'm supposed to do this because Pastor Matt was, was sweating and spitting and yelling and he said, I better do it. Right? No, he's praying that we would experience his joy. And his joy came from being a person on mission, purely inspired by perfect love and appreciation with the Father. To the extent that we really see God for who he is, you will say, how can I give myself away? Because God never blesses you without making you a blessing. And then second, blessing others means you might not like this one either, because I don't. Blessing others means we're willing to lose things. Okay? I'm just, I'm just drawing out the implications. I just want to be up front with you and shoot straight with you so you don't get surprised if you take God's call on your life seriously. Right? It means you're willing to lose things. When God spoke to Abraham, Abraham said, All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham left. He left. He left it all. You know what? There is no way that you can be, you know this, you know this. There is no way that you can be a Christian in, in public without getting out. You, here's what I mean. How many of you have family members who think you're nuts for being a Christian? Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. You're misunderstood. They don't get it. They think you're, you're a lunatic. How many of you feel, feel judged um, by your friends? They might be nice to you, but they judge you for being a Christian. How many of you have coworkers that scoff at you because you're a Christian? Think you're ridiculous. They, they, they think of the, the wackiest Christian they can think of, like Ned Flanders or something like that, and they say, oh, you're one of those people? Right? And then as you move out in the world as Christians, as active representatives of Christ and his grace, you will see that it costs you. Because you know what? You give up your calendar. You give up your reputation. You give up your money. You give up your hope for an easy life. But you will become an amazing expression of love. Love for God and love for other people. Now listen. I know it is not easy being a part of a church where the church staff doesn't live out your calling for you. You know that's the most common, common culture of church? 
is that a church pastors, elders, leaders, deacons, staff, or whatever, they have various things going on, and the average church member says, hey, we do this, that, and the other thing. But you don't. <laughs> You're living vicariously through other people. Right? God has a calling for you. He has a calling for your life. How, how, how have you been praying that God would reveal that to you? So you can live it out, right? Live more consistently with who you are in Christ. I know it is not easy being a part of a church where the church staff doesn't live out God's calling on your life for you. As a church, we believe everyone takes responsibility for the calling. We believe in the priest. I said this earlier. We believe in the priesthood of all believers. In other words, that means that every single Christian is a minister in one way, shape, or form. And so what we do together as a family is we encourage each other and we love each other and we challenge, to each, uh, we challenge each other, we give to each other, we pray for each other, and we all take responsibility for our role in the body of Christ as the sent people of God. And you, you know what happens here? There's a shift that starts to, to take place. Here's what happens. We'll end up having two kinds of people in our church more and more if we take this seriously. People who are growing in their identity that they are missionaries of God's grace and non-Christians. That's what, that's what we'll see happening. <laughs> Nothing. Can anybody tell me, can anybody convince me that there is anything more wonderful than being a part of the sent people of God? If you think there is, you just don't know. There is nothing more wonderful than that. But being a missionary of God's grace will move us out because we will leave our personal security. We'll leave what is familiar. We will leave what is predictable. We'll leave our preferences. It is not easy being the sent people of God, but that is who we are. It's part of our identity, who we are in Christ. And I'm telling you, this could be the most pleasant surprise to, to non-Christians when, when they see a self, selflessly sacrificing for the, the good of others because it means that we're actually putting our money where our mouth is. We really believe in who Jesus is and what he has done for us. So wait. Let me pause for a second. So I'm kind of ranting and raving up here and talking about what church life looks like. I don't want anybody to get the impression that this is how I live every moment of every single day without failure. There is sin in my heart, and there are very real weaknesses and, and, and uh, very real inabilities on my part. And so often, I'm, I'm like, God, I, I'm not good enough, or, or I, I'm not strong enough, I'm not, I'm not smart enough to be able to live this way. So, God, would you please give me opportunities? Because I, I can't, you know, strategize my life to, to make, this, make this happen. It doesn't always work that way. I'm not one of those guys. And so I have to pray, God, give me opportunities to share my faith with people. Give me opportunities to, I, I mean, just surprise me with that. Make them fall in my lap. And you know, he answers that. I mean, I, I'm, Shannon and I became part of a horse rescue um, in Valley Center. I don't want to have anything to do with cleaning out barns. I wasn't interested in that at all, right? But Shan likes horses, so what are you going to do, right? 
And so does my daughter. They love horses. And so I drive them up there because uh, Shen still can't drive. But hanging out with the horses has been therapeutic for her. It's been healing for her. And she talks, she talks to the horses, <laughs> right? And she sings to the horses and brushes the horses and walks the horses. And, and my daughter does all of the same things and waters them and feeds them. And, and I shovel out barn stuff. Right? And so I'm just trying to be supportive of my, of my family, and, and we go out there at least once a week. Right? It is not a Christian organization, and they will be the first to tell you, this is not a Christian organization. And when we hang out with them, and when we celebrate you know, the, the progress of, of their cause and everything, we get together for, you know what, there's some very non-Christian evidence uh, that, that is not a, a Christian a group, group of people. And then, and then we start talking to a few people, and and then, and then the question comes up. So what do you do? Right? Where do you work? There it is. So I'm a pastor at a fusion college. Wait, time out. You're a pastor? And then I could see the wheels turning in their head, and they're rewinding the tape of the things that they said and other things that they did. And they're like, oh, okay. And, and, then, and then, then, then a new expression falls over their face, and they say, what in the world are you doing here and hanging out with us and bringing your daughter and all this? Why are you here? And so we, we talk about it a little bit, and, and then all of a sudden their hearts open up and their eyes fill with tears and they start talking about their, their lives and their experiences of church in the past, and you can tell that they want they, they have a hunger for, for faith and in the gospel and, and, and they have questions and, and then I realized okay, you know what? <laughs> I wish I could say I planned this. Then I'd be the hero of my own story and I can impress everybody with how awesome I am. It's all part of the master plan. I had nothing to do with it. Let's just pray for it. You don't see how it's going to happen. You can't connect the dots. Pray for it. And if you can't see it, so many people just say, forget it, I'm not doing it. Because I, I can't do it right now. I'm, I'm a little overbooked right now. Or whatever. And this is stressing me out. And that's stressing me out. Pray for it and see what God does. <laughs> do you believe that? That, that? that it can happen that way? It's crazy. Now I lost my place. Oh. There we go. See, here's what the gospel teaches us. The gospel teaches us that it costs Jesus everything to get out to reach us. Everything. He lived the life that we should have lived. When, when, when we couldn't sacrifice for others or when we wouldn't sacrifice for others, he sacrificed for us. And then he died the death that we should have died, and then he gives us credit for all of it. We didn't earn any of that, but he graciously chose to lose in order to win us. That is amazing grace. Now here's what I have to do as we evaluate, right? What, some, again, we're going to make us more desperate for God's grace here. And he's, remember, he's free, he freely gives it. And, and I'll just make it personal. I won't apply this to you. You can do that on your own. But for me, when I am not willing to take the risk of losing my reputation, when I am not willing to take the risk of losing my resources, when I am not willing to take the risk of losing my hobbies um, or, or losing my, my schedule, when I am not willing to risk the loss of income potential, 
if I'm not willing uh, to lose the opportunity to maybe have a house that I've always wanted, or the condo I've always wanted, or the car that I've always wanted, or the education that I've always wanted, when I am not willing to lose my comfort, when I'm not willing to lose control, when I am not willing to lose my preferred schedule, when I'm not willing to lose security in order to live a life that glorifies God, it simply means that I am not living as if Christ were central to my life. Right? That's the truth about me. And God's kindness leads us to repentance. What happens um, so often is that in, in a, a lot of, I don't know, religious cultures, Christian cultures, or whatever, they think if you take grace seriously, you don't take sin seriously. Nothing could be further from the truth. You take grace seriously so that you can take sin seriously. Because usually what happens in a church is if someone sins, the church shoots them, or they just sweep it under the rug, and neither one is loving. Neither one's loving. (laughs) Grace enables you to bring it out to the light to experience healing. Okay? So thank God for grace. God got out so that um, he could bless us. So... The solution to living like this, I hope you don't mishear me this morning, the solution is not manipulative guilt. That will get you nowhere fast. You might be motivated for a second and then realize you can't do this. The solution is God's grace. Seeing God, that he got out so that he could bless us, focusing on that is what changes our hearts and therefore changes our lives. That becoming more real to you. So God blesses us to be a blessing. It means we're willing to lose things. And finally, and this is the last point, um, the great promise is this, and our ultimate joy is this, that Jesus blesses us with his presence. Well, what's that mean? Hang in there with me, okay? How do we experience God as a church? We know that we do experience God as we attempt generous sacrifice for him in every day together But I am telling you, we especially experience God when we screw up. We especially experience God when when we fail. We, We especially experience God when we're weak. We especially experience God when people sin against us and we sin against others. You know why? We'll go back to it again. Because it leads us to the Father to pray for grace and he gives it to us. Our faith must be in Christ. It must not be in ourselves. It must not be in our programs. It must not be in other people. The author of Hebrews says this, that that God gave the experience of his approval to people in days of old because of their faith. And you know what? We can experience the same thing, but in a fuller way. When was it that the Spirit was poured out on Christ. It was the minute that he started his ministry. And the dove came down and a voice from heaven said, This is my son in whom I am well pleased. And then later, right before his ascension, Matthew 28, listen. Jesus came to his disciples and said, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. And then Jesus adds this. 
and I am with you always. I am with you always. Always, not sometimes, always to the very end of the age. You know, first John we're faced with, you know, how do we know if we're children of God and, and we learn that you can look at the, the fruit growing in our lives and make a conclusion and that is helpful. But let me tell you something, we're not just left with the conclusion only. We have been given the Holy Spirit, right? Also known as the comforter because he comforts us. Why? Because he calls us out of our comfort zone. The Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit and he comes into your lives. And Paul talks about experiencing the love of God being poured out in your life to the point where he says, stop, please, no more. It's just too much. So, if we know that God loves us, if you know, if you believe that God loves you, you will have a sense of his loving, fatherly presence. And it will, when you experience it, you know it. Because then you're going to say, you know, you know what? Let, let all hell break loose because it doesn't matter. I have Jesus because Jesus is my peace of mind. Jesus is my security. Jesus is my comfort. Jesus is my joy. And Jesus is enough. And then suddenly there's, there's power in our, in our lives and, and we know that he is with us every step of the way and he will give us a, fully experience, a fuller experience of himself as we serve him and serve others and, and serve each other. There is no greater blessing than that. And, and I'll close with this, right? Uh, just again, this is not just some theory that, that we're talking about here. Many of you have m made this real to me. You have proved that this is the truth and this is the way that it plays out in, in our life. I have been blown away as I see more and more of you learning what it means to die to self and to live for others for God's glory. And more and more, I'm telling you, more and more people are joining in on that. And it's encouraging to see so many of you serve God and serve others and serve your neighbors at the drop of a hat. And it's amazing. And it is amazing how often that, that God uses the people with the least to set the pace. How God uses uh, the people with the most struggles to set the pace. That God uses the weakest to set the pace. Don't tell me you're not strong enough. Don't tell me that, that, that you're not good enough. Don't tell me that you, know, you don't have enough money. Don't, don't. I've seen people with nothing set the pace. Why? trusting in the power of the gospel not themselves you'll show me what it's like to experience God as you give yourselves away and listen this morning if you're not a Christian my hope for you as well is that, that you would see the sacrifice of Christ on the cross that it shows you that, that you can trust him give your life to him and when you do you realize you will realize that your life was already his God says to every single one of us, if you know me, you will bless others. You will live hospitable lives, generous lives, sacrificial lives of, of mission, even if you lose things that you thought were so important. And we're reminded that if you're willing to lose your life, you will find it. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we, we thank you. Um, 
that you sent your son to reach us. Uh, that Jesus got out. That he came to us. He became, he limited himself to, to humanity. And he lived the life that we should have lived and that we couldn't. And he died the death we should have died. And then he clothed us by his grace and in Jesus' righteousness. And now you see us because of that giving credit to us for Jesus' righteousness, you view us, you view us as a perfect sent people of God. And because of Jesus, you delight in us. Because of Jesus, you love us. God, fill our hearts with that truth so that so that we can love you, love each other, love our neighbors. God, I pray um, for your Holy Spirit to convict us. God, I pray, Lord, that every single person sitting in these chairs uh, would reflect on, on uh, how the Holy Spirit is leading them to respond. God, I pray, Lord, that those who are not Christians, that they haven't followed you that you would that you would that you would enable them give them the courage the resolve to follow you according to your grace and your spirit working within them and god i pray that you'd also give them the courage to to tell somebody here that they know so so that they're not just um, on their own with this that they're not only um, following jesus part of your family and give them their faith to follow you this morning God for the, vet, the rest of us who are Christians make your truth more real to us so that we don't protect our hearts from the sin of being bored with your good news and wake us up Make, make the good news more real to us and again so that it lights a fire under us. Help us to live for you in order to glorify you. Thank you that you forgive us when we fail you, when we sin against you, when we make other things, even good things, um, an idol by making them the most important thing in our life. The best thing that we can do for the, the, the people around us, the most, to be the most loving person we could be is to prioritize our relationship with, with you. And So God, uh, thank you for this opportunity to gather together and, and refocus upon who you are and what you've done. We pray these things in your name.